Hello, this is Sex and Ethics, the podcast, or as we like to emote it, sex and ethics. (laughs) (laughs) I am with your two co-hosts, Sharon Lamb and Madeline Brout. And we'll start out by apologizing to our huge fan base for not mm. having podcasted for a very long time. We don't know why. There's certainly been enough to podcast about. Yeah, there's been a ton of things that have happened since we last kind of spoke, but life kind of goes on and sometimes it's harder to do some of this, but we're excited to be back. Yes, very excited to be back. And we're both in isolation. This is podcasting during the pandemic. You're so annoyed with it, you can't say it right. I can never know whether to call it COVID-19 or the pandemic. I don't know whether to call it isolation or social distancing or physical distancing. I get very tongue-tied in these days where every hour runs into another day and to another Mm -hmm. week and that sort of. But I can say I am isolated here in beautiful Vermont where there are acres to walk around without seeing anybody else. Um, The only complaint I have is it is freezing here still and it is May 4th. And you are isolated where? In Tacoma, Washington. So definitely not freezing here. We've been fortunate enough to have like weather in like the 50s and 60s. It's not a bad climate, but I have a lot of neighbors. I'm in a more central area of Tacoma. And so even walking with my dog, I have to like switch sides of the street a lot and a little bit less picturesque, but we're, we're definitely sheltering and being happy and safe here. Oh, great. And and are you wearing masks when you go out? Yes. So Washington was the place that was first hit by the pandemic. So I've been wearing a mask basically since March 11th when I go outside. Well, I have been wearing a mask too, even to be a role model since I've been so isolated. I don't think I'm going to pass it to anyone, but I've been noticing people really not wearing masks out on beautiful days. And But Vermont is such a lovely place. Nobody ever calls anyone out. None of the front porch forums or next door neighbors yeah. are full of, you know, people complaining as I hear it's, it happens in other cities. We just kind of smile at each other as we pass and they smile and say, oh, you're wearing a mask. And I smile my smile like, yes, I'm wearing a mask and you're not. And Mm -hmm. that's it. (laughs) Yeah, there hasn't been a lot of that around here. I think it's, I think it's like 50-50 as to who's abiding by wearing a mask, but also who's doing the social distancing. It doesn't Mm -hmm. always happen at a grocery store, but we live in an area that has more folks who are, uh, have significant mental health problems or addiction problems. And so that's a lot of the folks I've been seeing who haven't been taking care of themselves uh, in that way. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Do you feel like you're providing some good support to them during this scary time? I think it's challenging. One of the things I've been challenged by since moving out to the West Coast is the greater amount of folks who more clearly display some of those signs as well as more folks who are homeless. But I've just been trying to donate to places where I can as much as I can. Because unfortunately, even like uh, the little things I used to do, like letting them pet Daisy aren't safe anymore because they can't get that close to us. Oh, well, I mean, for those whom you're a therapist to, I, I think they're very lucky. Aw, thanks, Sharon. 
I know your clients are lucky too. I don't know. Actually, are you, is your practice still open right now? Yeah, I, I still see a few people online. Okay. And I'm finding it okay. I've even offered to my um, therapy clients to walk with them six feet apart if they felt the need for that. But mm-hmm. everyone seems to be fine sheltering in place. So I just, before we we got started on today's topic, which is going to be presidential candidate Joe Biden, I thought I'd catch up on your dissertation work, particularly because it's, you know, so pertinent to what I've been fuming about lately. Mm. So how's that dissertation going? It's going. I have results, tentative ones. So it looks like there is a significant impact on mental health symptoms for survivors because of rape culture, which I think is really exciting. Everybody likes a significant dissertation, even though a good dissertation is a done one. So we're (laughs) excited that survivors of rape are suffering because of rape culture. Okay, I got it. Yeah. It's a, it's a wor- weird world being an academic and talking about these things. Like you say sentences that you never thought you'd say before, like that one. Yeah. Um, We're excited to show that so that we can change it. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I like that reframe. I'm just excited that I have numbers to go with so many of the stories that I've heard and my personal experiences. I think combination of both numbers and a story can be most persuasive for creating change, both within psychology and for, you know, larger spaces like legislative bodies and stuff like that. So. Right. I mean, let's just start off the bat before we even get into this talking about like hashtag believe victims. We don't mean to believe everything every woman ever says, every accusation all the time. That just seems to be something somebody says to counteract what they think is feminazi statement. But what does it mean when we say believe victims? It's a rhetorical device, right? It's kind of like those statements that feminists make about like men are trash, right? We're not talking about all men uncritically. We're talking about taking a a purposefully radical step to the opposite end of the spectrum, which is that the assumption is right now that victims are telling lies and we should hop to the other side and assume that victims are telling the truth. And that doesn't mean that people can't be somewhat inaccurate or mistaken in their recollection of events. We know that that's not how memory is encoded when folks experience trauma, but that that's probably where you should start with. What do you and think? How do you define of, it? Want, yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think that it's it's not just a, a starting place, but it's a kind of give that a chance, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Skepticism isn't the place where you should start, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just so incensed by everything I've been hearing lately and the way way people have been responding to this, the way liberals have been responding to the accusation against Joe Biden. Me too. But what I want to say is that I want to establish us as experts, not as just feminists. I am furious when people think that because I'm a feminist, I'm biased, or that because I do research on sexual abuse, trauma, rape, victimization, that I must be biased. No. Which is nonsense. That makes you more qualified. Oh my gosh. That makes me an expert. And now I want to say, what makes them the experts to say whether they think she's lying or yeah. not? Why, why, do, why does everybody think they're entitled to an expert opinion 
on this where they don't have to listen to me an expert on this and seriously i get hired to go into a courtroom and say whether i believe usually it's a child or an adolescent is telling the truth about an accusation the judge doesn't say everyone in the courtroom raise your hand if you think she's telling the truth we're doing a straw poll (laughs) yeah that's not the way it works and i think there's a lot of there's a discursive kind of thing around this about like needing to be objective and non-biased and that's not how people work a we all kind of view everything through a lens of experience and identity and b that somehow a lay person's understanding of these experiences is equivalent to someone who spent years and years focusing on this is insane. Exactly. That's how I feel. But now I think we need to explain in case this podcast lasts forever and somebody say, I wonder what they're referring to. We're, we're talking about, I don't know if you're calling Tara or Tara Reed, the woman who has come forward with an accusation mm-hmm. that Joe Biden sexually assaulted her. Basically, there are about seven or eight other women who were Mm -hmm. uncomfortable with his creepy touching and sometimes words. And then she came forward with very realistic incident. He asked, I think, uh, according to her, he asked to have her be the one to bring him his gym bag. It's in some corridor. And when she came there, he lunged at her and started kissing her and reaching under her skirt. And I think I read that he uh, went inside her underpants and penetrated her or tried Mm -hmm. to, which in some states is rape. I mean, it's definitely a crime, no matter what. I mean, kissing the back of the neck as he did with other people, unwanted kissing, isn't exactly a crime, except if it's sexual harassment in the workplace, but... Which it was. I guess, it is it a crime if you go up to somebody in the grocery store and kiss the back of their neck? I think it depends on the state. My future state of Oklahoma, I did a little research into their rape laws, and, you know, every state is a little bit different. So they still have it that you can not be charged if you assault your spouse under the circumstances where the spouse is inebriated enough that they're incapacitated. That's still Mm. legal. So I think it's tricky when we're talking state by state, but I bet you there's a state that does consider that assault, and I bet you there's another one that doesn't. (laughs) And I guess we like leaving things up to the states, at least lately when some of the states are doing some really good things with the pandemic and some are not. Really bad things. Okay, so, so he didn't respond to the accusation for a while. And the people who, I guess the other thing I read about this was that she did report it at the time. Mm -hmm. She did tell people and she told somebody at her next job about being, she didn't mention the name, but saying that she was assaulted. She didn't say she was assaulted because she didn't, just like so many people didn't call what happened to them a sexual assault until hashtag me too. Yeah. Yay, me too. But they knew they didn't like it and they knew it exactly you know, was creepy and some knew that they've been bothered about it for years. Seriously, can you be a woman and not have had some stuff like that happen to you? And then, I mean, it just seemed to me, maybe because I'm more her age, that this, this stuff happened all the time. Why are people now saying, oh, this is so hard to believe? What <laughs> a nice guy, you know? Anyway, maybe it doesn't happen in your in your generation. Maybe the world no, has changed. I wish I could say like, no, it doesn't happen. But I think 
just like you, I have a lot of conversations about this issue because it's a focus of my work. And I think almost any time I talk with a female person, they will disclose to me at least one incident of, of unwanted kind of uh, sexual contact from someone. It really feels like the only people who are awakening to this are men, mostly people who I would say cisgender men. I don't want to lump trans men into into this what do you mean awakening to this well because i think they don't have the lived experience of of being so uncomfortable that for them it's kind of like analogous to the way that white people become aware about race that sometimes someone has to directly point out how that experience is analogous to other experiences that you've had which is i'm just challenging the word awakening because i'm married to a heterosexual cisgender man and and i'm you know and i think after like three days of my ranting around the house he he might be awakening about this he just so doesn't want trump to win that he's he's putting some blinders on about this and I think that's why, um, so that's why I Facebooked about this article in uh, The Week by uh, Ryan Cooper, who writes for The Week and, and Nation mm-hmm. New Republic, I think. It's called The Angst Over Joe Biden's Assault Allegation Has an Easy Resolution. And the resolution, he suggests, is that they toss him out and they, and you know, that they make him resign and they go to somebody else who was in the running and that it's Amen. still possible. Yeah, which I was shocked that he didn't receive more flack for this because these allegations came out while it was still between Biden and Bernie. And I was, I think, really disappointed with my fellow liberals that that wasn't a bigger deal because I personally am really, really disgusted that I that when I go to the voting box in November or send in my ballot by mail is increasingly looking like it's going to happen. I don't want to have to choose between two people who are known to be perpetrators of sexual violence. I don't think that's a good kind of representation for America at all. No, no, I totally agree with you. The lesser of two evils, I forget, was it Hannah Arendt who said, people forget when they choose between the lesser of two evils that they're still choosing evil? Yes, 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 <laughs> right. yes. But I was about to break up with a few friends of mine because wow. friends on Facebook, I just decided not to look at Facebook, which is probably wiser because friends and people who I thought I was kind of, we, we were kind of in the same boat and kind of the same approach to life were saying the same old things that the Republican said when Christine Blasey Ford was testifying mm. against Kavanaugh. They were saying things about, well, that it's really a he said, she said thing. And there isn't, <laughs> go ahead. If we weren't, if we weren't recording, I, w- I would have slapped the table already because this is garbage because especially in this woman's case, she has more supportive evidence than Dr. Ford does honestly. And that should not be a bar for believing women, but but the fact that you could not critically examine how much supportive evidence this person has is ridiculous. She did file a complaint in 1993. That's a big fucking deal in 1993. She mentioned how it, it resulted in negative repercussions at her job. Her mom called into, what is that late night talk show host? Larry King. Larry King. Yeah. At the time, Like, how can you not have more supportive evidence? And the thing about 
like that I want to talk about in terms of ethics is that we don't just talk about the importance of believing victims when it's convenient for us, mm-hmm. but that we talk about it all the time. Because right. and that's journalistic the ethics. social change. Yes. Right? You don't just you know cover things when <laughs> you just don't cover the news when the news will support what you believe. Mm-hmm. You cover all the news. It's a story. Yeah. I mean, well, especially and they are. Since I mean, they are especially since, you know, m- many journalists kind of take up the flag of being like a watchdog. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that means that ethically you are required to examine people that you even like to see what they're doing wrong. I mean, this is not a new story, right? Like even uh, during Obama's pres- uh, presidential time in office, he was really looked at favorably and people were not engaging as much critical kind of journalism about some of his decisions. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people are not, um, I mean, what about the thing that, that Biden said about, I marched in the civil rights era, that, Ooh. <laughs> that wasn't just a lie. It was, and, and I read somewhere that his staff keeps saying, stop saying that you didn't, you didn't. And then he keeps repeating it. Yeah. Or the amount of times that he has told that corn pop story about the guy who he told couldn't get in the pool and then something about a razor that got rusty. And I was like, you don't understand how like low key racist this is. Okay. So the whole world, not, not the whole world, but so many liberals and Democrats are being totally hypocritical. Now mm-hmm. the same thing that, I mean, saying the same things Republicans said about Christine Blasey Ford, or even just that sort of analysis that, well, they believed her because she was so professional and things like that. I hate the, the subtle uh, critique of who Tara Reid seems like to them. Um, and also there's this sort of thing that, that she supported Biden on tweets or something like that at some yeah. point. And she said he's got a good record on women's issues or something, which he doesn't, of course. Right. No. I mean, he does on Violence Against Women Act, but ask uh, Anita Hill what his record Mm. but well i think it just shows how much passion passion you have about this issue that it's so mind-boggling that this woman people we know and trust that we're on our side that we 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 felt in solidarity with are just sounding like republicans now (laughs) or not republicans trump republicans trump republicans yeah and they're just like repeating back some of this like honestly like garbage kind of understandings of the way that sexual assault kind of presents itself the way that folks cope with it afterwards like uh suddenly now you expect tara reed to go and tell everybody that she was assaulted but when christine bossy ford didn't do that that was okay it's really quite mind-boggling and it comes out it comes out slowly it comes out over time and again she wasn't raped this was not an uncommon occurrence for women to gosh i mean there are certain if you just stop and think about different ways you've been harassed in your life and you think who have i told about it and and did it still happen if i didn't tell anyone and what if i just saw that person now running for president or what mm-hmm. if i then saw this person at the head of a company and told somebody then does that mean there was something wrong with my not having told anyone back then no it was back then people just said you know what a jerk oh speaking yeah. of which what? what a jerk do you remember what he said no he, Oh, there was something he said right afterwards. I'm going to look right now in this wonderful op-ed by Maureen Dowd 
um, okay. today that uh, that just rang so true about what Joe Biden said. Let me. Um, he said something like, "You don't count, or you're a nothing, or something like that." Oh yes, after he assaulted her, he said something like that. I'm gonna look in my because I I read a comprehensive history so I could get it de- for like downright chronologically, mm-hmm. and it had it in there. It says, "You're nothing to me." Um, nothing she said he told her he initiated the uh, contact by saying do you want to go somewhere else when she pulled away he said come on man I heard you liked me Biden then became then grew angry you're nothing to me nothing she said he told her and that's from a piece in the Washington Examiner was that what you were talking about yeah and maybe has has rung true for me because I remember being harassed when I was alone at a bus stop once in Italy Mm-hmm. And somebody was being sweet and seductive and like, you know, and when mm. I wouldn't get in a car with him, I was waiting for a bus. He turned on me like that, you know, because don't turn an entitled man down and started saying things like, you know, who do you think you are? You think you're, so, you're nothing, that sort of thing. It just, it just rang so true about what somebody would say when they were yeah. hot and heavy and then rejected. I mean, and that rings true to so many of my experiences, even some of my online dating experiences prior to uh, being with my current partner, like so many men messaged me and I wasn't interested. So I didn't respond back because I learned that that invited more conversation that I wasn't willing to kind of emotionally handle. And often after like a couple messages, they just of me not answering, they just start engaging in that kind of behavior. And I've heard the same thing from women who are using more updated methods of dating, that once you reject somebody, they really show their kind of true colors. And I think one of the things that's challenging for me about the situation, and that you sort of talk about a minute ago, and I kind of wanted to pick up and draw that thread, was that there's a, a expectation that the survivor acts in a ethically superior way to the person who perpetrated against her, which I think is a really unfair kind of ethical burden that we should really encourage the people who are doing this harm to behave according to the highest ethical standards of saying like, I don't remember it happening that way, but like, I trust that like you had this experience and I'm going to look deep into my like soul and see how I can sit with this or, you know, let's engage in a restorative justice process. Like that's the kind of ethical response I want to see, not picking apart the response of the woman. I, I mean, I would have voted for Biden. I mean, I still probably will anyway, as if my state of Vermont counts anyway, but I would have voted for him more readily had he said, yes, I did this. I want to make reparations. I have changed. Thanks to the love of a good woman or something. (laughs) Yeah. We would not have an unproblematic apology. I'm sure. Yeah. And did you know that he, that he prevented three witnesses from coming forward for the Anita Hill hearings. I mean, of all, I'm unsurprised. (laughs) I mean, mean, that's the part he played in that. Dr. Hill faced so much opposition from so many people. And I think now that we're having this conversation again as a country, I really think that the way she kind of continued to persevere was quite momentous. I think I thought about her a lot when thinking about this investigation since it happened in such close kind of time proximity. I also wanted to point out that there was this really great, maybe, you know, several episode long thing that Slate puts out 
called Slow Burn. It's a podcast. Oh, yes. Did you yes, listen to yes. about the Clintons? No, but I've oh. listened to some of the others and it's so good. Well, talks about how they pretty much just did this kind of, I think uh, Maureen Dow calls it sliming the women who told of sexual encounters with Bill. And there was this one woman, this interview, Juanita Broderick, who he raped, allegedly, I suppose we have to say that, turned her into a Republican. I mean, the way she was treated. Yeah, honestly, that's a reasonable response. And I think this whole issue, both with the Clintons and with Biden about how they're responding to this kind of draws me in for questions about what is really the standard that we want to set for who gets to be a leader. I think it's unrealistic to expect that all of our leaders will be completely unblemished or not make mistakes. I'm sure that, you know, if you dig hard enough into my past, even though I try and make an effort to be fair and just that you can find somebody who doesn't like me and feels like I I did something wrong against them and they're probably at least half right. But what happens when so many people who are so powerful are in a position to cover up some of these things? And when do they choose to do it? And when do they not choose to do it? Well, what do you think about people are very motivated to not look into the story right now? Because, you know, Trump has is so awful, and his policies are costing lives right now. What do you take about, I mean, it's almost like a trolley car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you know, oh. how many people are going to be hurt if you go one way versus the other way on the track here? So um, for I our listeners, my I, answer to that. Oh, you want to talk? Okay. say the I just wanted to explain what the trolley experiment <laughs> yeah, was before you get your point across, but hold on to it very tightly because I want to hear it. So the trolley <laughs> experiment is there's variations on it, but essentially you're asked to sacrifice one person that you directly are causing us death or killing versus saving uh, three people or killing those three people and saving the person and not having to actually actively cause someone's death. And you're supposed to think through which option is the most effective option and you have to choose one. Okay. How is the trolley experiment kind of related to this? Well, I'm certainly glad you remembered that because I I didn't. I just think that it's it's the lesser of two evils kind of a uh, thing and that the the issue is that you're you're acknowledging that both are bad mm. and so it isn't the trolley because what's really annoying me here isn't a, isn't that a bunch of democrats and liberals are saying this is bad but it's not as bad as trump but they're they're uh, condemning the accuser they're suspicious yes. that, that the accuser is being put up by other people to make this up and they're I mean, they're just not believing it's true. (laughs) Yeah. And I wonder if for folks who are doing that, if a lot of it is driven by their own anxiety about Trump potentially winning this year. I know that I had, I was not supportive of Biden in the primaries. I was a Bernie supporter and I had conversations with folks who chose to vote for Biden in the primary because they were concerned about electability, not on the coast, but in the middle, some of those purple states and who would be most kind of attractive to folks in those purple states. And they chose Biden for that exact reason. And I think it's a lot of fear about if we say anything critical about this person, what is the repercussion effects And that doesn't excuse them not believing Tara Reid, but 
it does kind of at least help me understand where they're coming from. Yeah, well, so I think that we're being dismissed now that disgruntled Bernie supporters, because I mean, it's no, people might guess that because I come from Vermont, I might be a Bernie supporter, and I was, and that's kind of like to know him means to know he's totally honest, mm-hmm. and what you see is what you get from him, for better or worse, and there isn't a lot of that kind of um, smoke and mirrors and... and uh, lying. Not that I wouldn't have been happy with Elizabeth Warren. um, I would have been perfectly content. Right. But I don't know what she said about Biden at this point, but I hear that Kristen Gillibrand, the person who got the wonderful Al Franken out of the Senate, is now saying, don't rush to judgment about Biden. He's an exceptional man. I mean, poor Al Franken, the honest guy who said, yeah, that was really bad. I did that. I better leave. Right. He should have yeah. stayed in the Senate and he should have held other people to account in the way that he did. I think he handled it well. I think what he did was a problem way yes. back when. And I think that I would have understood if Biden said what I did was a problem, a major one way back exactly. when. I mean, who I mean, hasn't done some things that they think were pretty bad way back when? Yeah. The you. unfortunate thing is that Christian Gillibrand is not the only person who has kind of flip-flopped on this issue in such a substantial way. I was looking for the other person. I believe they're a politician from Georgia. Stacey Abrams feels like the right thing, but I can't actually remember. Oh, well, she wants to be his vice president. I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I guess I don't fault her. I mean, there's something to be said for wanting to get into that office and being there when he croaks I mean, and having some good politics. I think she does. Ah, I mean, yes, it was Stacey Abrams. I just didn't want to be like falsely accusing someone because I'm bad with names. Yeah, I'm disappointed in her though. But um, I think she's like a front runner where people want her to be his vice president. Well, yes, I heard a uh, talk at a conference from a political analyst and they encouraged Joe Biden to pick someone from the opposite corner. So someone who is both a person of color and a woman, because he needs that in order to get support. Because uh, honestly, I feel like most folks are just tired of old white men making all the decisions in the country. Yeah, I was really disappointed in the, in, well, I don't know if it was just the press, but in how um, the older black community was voting for Biden in, in greater, in greater numbers than uh, Bernie. I just don't, yeah, I just couldn't see it way back when, but I know it's that sort of that, the Obama aura, he's touched by Obama, who I have to say, I don't believe that he ever did anything creepy when he was a president or senator so i'm among that there's an aura around yes <laughs> i mean i i am from chicago and i got to have obama as my state senator prior to his like great meteoric rise i got to hug him at his high school assembly Aww. you know i'm a huge fan of him and i think that Biden if we were is- to hear that he had if we were to hear a, a tara reed story about him we yeah. would be, our first response would not be impossible. It would be, how disappointing. Yeah. And I feel there's a podcast I listen to called The Read. It's hosted by two Black queer people. And they almost every week will like compliment some white person for doing something. And then honestly, they started making it a joke because the next week that white person would have done something horrific. <laughs> and at this point, 
when we're talking about very famous men, I'm just like, yeah, of course. Of course, somehow with your access to fame and privilege and money, because all three of those are kind of together here, of course, you might have done something that infringed upon the rights of another person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the fact that we're experts. (laughs) Okay. Because, you know, people can dismiss our view like we were Bernie supporters and we're disgruntled. They can dismiss our view that we're feminists. So, of course, we're going to see that way. Can dismiss our view because we've just come out and say we've been sexually harassed in our lives. So we're victims. So, Mm. you know, so how can you trust in that way? Well, well, then it sounds to me like all you can trust then are, you know, men on this. Yeah. Right. But I'm so disappointed in the women who are asking for evidence. Uh, Women I know have been victimized, who have been harassed. Where do you, Mm. where do you see that? Where do you see that coming from? The, the after me too, also, where, where, where is that solidarity among women victims oh i have two ideas one is kind of a very like classically clinical psych kind of thing about like the just world belief that good things happen to good people bad things happen to bad people and there's a perception i think that biden is a good person and so he could not have done anything wrong and that kind of like really significant cognitive inflexibility that's i feel like kind of boring What I think is more interesting to talk about is the kind of idea that it takes effort to actively fight and challenge some of these cultural stereotypes. And that sometimes, especially in a pandemic or when other life stressors are happening, it is much easier to choose the lazy option of agreeing with the rest of the country and not believing this woman. It takes more effort to actively choose to believe a survivor at this point of American history. And I think people are tired, so they don't want to put in that effort. And and it is true that Trump is the worst of the two. Yes. I mean, when it just we don't look at politics or anything else, and you just talk about how they treat women or they have treated women, what's their track record? He has done far worse and far more frequently. Uh-huh. Things. So... Um, Maybe it just has to do with that dichotomizing nature in all of us, good versus bad, Democrat versus Republican. I was listening to a podcast with uh, Matt Taibbi. I don't know if you know him, political person who writes Mm -hmm. for the Rolling Stone magazine. And he was just saying he can't stand the way the media always turns something into Republican versus Democrat. Something's happening. Any piece of news gets turned into how are the Democrats and Republicans opposed on this? I think that's what happens when there is when there is this thing that came out in the news, and that's this sort of what side are you on? Even that he said, she said kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, why do we go there instead of saying, so what's the um, pattern? What's the evidence? What's the corroboration? Does it sound true to us? And you know what? I'm, I'm, you know, I keep saying I'm an expert and joking about it, and I'm kind of talking in a vague and impressionistic way about how I believe that what she said is true. But I just want to say, it's not just I believe. I interview victims. I read Uh victim stories. I do therapy with people who are victims. 
And by the way, we'll do another podcast on why I'm using the word victim and you're using the word survivor. Yes. <laughs> we'll, 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 and, you know, I use survivor too. It's not an either or. But I know victims. I know what their stories sound like. I know they don't always get the exact facts right. I know that some of them love the people who abuse them and mm-hmm. uh, respect them even in some ways. And, and that it takes some time for them, for their own self-respect to overcome their respect for the person who abused them. I know this and research has shown this to be true. And anybody who has spent a lot of time with a lot of different victims of sexual abuse and sexual assault know that all of these things can be true. Yes. I mean, I think you know, coming from my experience, I think the fact that one of the things that's been picked out of this case is that she didn't necessarily in her official complaint say that she was assaulted. And so many of the survivors I have talked to don't even label what they've experienced as an assault. They just said, I was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. That's at the end. But that there's some significant kind of challenges to labeling such a negative experience like that as an assault, because then you have to rethink your whole worldview. You only have to talk to a couple people who have tried to cope with events in this way to start to understand why someone would do that. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. it's a less scary way to live in the world. If I have to sit with the fact that someone I liked, respected, and worked for did this to me, then I have to kind of have some serious questions about my life and what I'm doing and, you know, the nature of humanity. And those are really difficult questions to deal with when you're recovering from such a traumatic experience. Well, and let's not forget the socialization of being a woman in this world. Yes. Carol Gilligan and Lynn Michael Brown talked about the tyranny of the nice and kind and uh-huh. that it's very hard to confront a nice mm-hmm. guy like Joe Biden with <laughs> something he did that was wrong. Pop yeah. It's very hard to confront somebody and say, you know, you're a dick. <laughs> yes. Oh, there's something you said at the end there that I think is really interesting, which is that lots of us in our head are thinking about the Joe Biden that we know now as doing this, but mm. he wasn't kind old grandpa then. He was, I think he was like 48 or 49, right? Yeah. And I think the media has kind of tapped into some of our ageist biases in order to not kind of cover this story more extensively, right? If you think about like an older person perpetrating some of these things, it feels laughable. And so I think the fact that he is in his seventies now, correct? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of being 77 is kind of being used to not talk about the story more or kind of used to doubt the victim even more. And I think if we were to see him at that point, um, you know, arguing in the Senate and just sort of get a visual picture of him and hear a person talking about what he was doing at that time, it would look a lot, it would sound and look a lot creepier than Mm -hmm. we picture it. Absolutely. Not that we should excuse older grandpa types from doing that kind of creepy stuff too. Um, no, but it's it's playing into com- some of our kind of scripts for older people that they're harmless and, you know, they're very sweet. They're just, just getting, people like everybody else. I'm just getting overwhelmed with the entitlement though, because it's kind mm. of like the Trump, I'll grab them by the pussy and they let you do it. 
the older grandpa types who say, I'm just an old man. I don't know what I'm doing and do those kinds of things and get away with it. The politicians who think I'm in power, I can do whatever I want and get away with it. And yeah. Can. You know? Yes. Because they continue to be supported. I had a fantasy of writing a, um, you know, a short story or some play or some, I don't know, some sort of script or something about what would happen if women just sort of said no more. (laughs) Yes. Right. Like a Margaret Atwood, Octavia Butler, post-apocalyptic women saying no more thing. I would be down for that. Yeah, it all had something to do with the pandemic and infecting the entitled in some way. Um, And, you know, and and not about the sexual assault or the harassment or anything, but just the the chutzpah of I can get away with it. I have power so I can do this. That bugs me. I'm I'm so anti-authoritarian. I know. (laughs) Me too. But I think it's, for me, it brings into question kind of what type of person is drawn to political kind of ambitions. Yes. And what values do they hold that are leading them to do that? Um, It's almost always the wrong person who is, with, with my values, it's wrong. I think lots of the people who run for political office are more interested in a kind of like fame or longevity of their existence on this earth rather than ensuring that they are living living up to the standard of kind of ensuring the good of all people i don't know if power corrupts everyone equally in the same way i just don't Mm. know and i I do recall the ursula Le Guin book i I love so much it's it's the dispossessed not the left hand of darkness i don't know if you ever read those be dated now but in in the dispossessed uh the alien who's from a planet where i think men and women are equal in some sort of way basically gets kind of sexually harassed and raped by a very wealthy woman who has power on earth and now as i think of that i think i just don't see it i mean it's a nice trope in in science fiction to think that anyone in power would be sexually entitled and take advantage mm-hmm. of someone else. I don't know if I believe that. And it's not saying that there's something about women that's nice and kind that would prevent that. But there's, you know, there's a lot of history. and It's not gender, but it would take many hundreds of years before you create a say, race of women who are going to be doing this yeah. <laughs> across the board to men. Just saying. <laughs> I similarly would also doubt that. We have hundreds and thousands of years of women being taken advantage of. And it's really difficult to think of a future where that isn't happening anymore. I'm hopeful for the world post-COVID. Uh, I think this is a time of great unrest and I'm hoping that good things will come of it. You know, kind of like the dark ages going into the enlightenment. I think it's possible that we can move, make a lot of moves as a society. And I think it's a shame that even when we have this opportunity to reset, to change the way that we're acting, that the media continues to doubt uh, a woman's story. Well, let's just keep speaking the truth from our expert positions, right? Mm-hmm. And and when people get me down, I'll just turn off Facebook or I'll stop tweeting for a while, but I'll say it somewhere else 
Yeah. Like that. But I don't want to only preach to the converted. I want to convert too. It's just that sometimes you just can't win with when people's minds are made up. And as you said, they're so anxious about Trump getting uh, reelected. Which, like, I, it's not like I'm not. I'm very anxious about it. But I can hold multiple kind of thoughts in my head at once with this. At least I'm that, at that point in my anxiety. Well, it's been a real pleasure venting to you tonight in somewhat of an incoherent way. I have to say that we laugh. We used to laugh about how we would take on these issues months after they were popular in the news. But now I understand why. Because when they're in the news and it's so present, I'm tongue-tied and I can hardly talk about it. I get so mad. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's difficult to be concise and well-spoken in these kind of moments because we're so kind of emotionally heightened. Yes, I'm a hysterical female, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I want to thank Dan Torres, who's going to be editing this for us. Thank you, Dan. Every moment. I really appreciate it. And I hope that we'll get back to you with another podcast very soon. Mm -hmm. Can we make that? A promise, Madeline? Yes. After the dissertation is written, or maybe even before. I still deserve to have a good time, even before my dissertation is done. (laughs) You always deserve to have a good time. Okay, so I think we're going to sign off now and call our our, uh, way of saying goodbye to you till next time. And that is, be good. And it's not too late for you, Joe Biden. Be good. (laughs) Give up. (laughs) Bernie! (laughs) Or Elizabeth. Or a few of those others, even. Come on. (laughs) Anybody. Take care. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.